Kere, and welcome to History of Estonia podcast. Episode 42, The First Soviet Year. I am your host, William Parsley. Well, I have a little more spring in my step this episode. The family and I have just booked tickets to go to Estonia for a couple weeks over the Christmas holiday. On a secondary note, Anchor, which is the podcast service that I use to produce this podcast, gives breakdowns of which countries this podcast is being listened to. I'm happy to say that an incredible amount of countries are on the list. One of particular note is Estonia. It, of course, has always been on the list, but always been well behind the numbers of listeners from large countries such as the U.S., Canada, Great Britain, and Australia. I'm happy to say that the popularity of the podcast in Estonia is surging and now has the fourth most downloads out of all the countries in the world, with the U.S. being number one with 39%, Canada and the U.K. tied with 11%, and Estonia is up to 9% of the downloads of the podcast. So that, of course, leads me to believe that there are a fair amount of foreigners in Estonia who are learning about Estonia through my podcast, and I take that as a great thing. So thank you very much, and keep listening. As for now, let's get back to the timeline. In order to coordinate forthcoming events, Andrei Zadanov, a representative of the Soviet Union, arrived in Tallinn. Having established contact with local supporters of the Soviet Union, he assigned them to organize a demonstration on 21st of June to support the demands of the Soviet ultimatum. On the 21st of June, a couple of thousand people organized on Babadusa Veliak, or Freedom Square in Tallinn. They were factory workers, Russians from the Pechery region, and builders of the Soviet bases. The meeting demanded that the government, headed by Yuri Uluots, should resign. But in actuality, by then, the cabinet had already announced its resignation on the 17th of June and a new cabinet was formed. The whole event was supported by squads and armored cars of the Red Army. From Freedom Square, the demonstrators moved on to Tampia, and thereafter to the Kadriorg Palace, where the president, who had come out to greet the people, was silenced by whistles and noise of the crowd. Representatives of the demonstrators demanded replacement of the government, after their demands had been handed over, some of the more rowdy individuals, who had been kept at a distance from all the other organizers of the meetings, took to the floor and started to call for revolution. Next, some of the demonstrators moved to the Petri prison and released about 20 or 30 prisoners. Among them were some noted communists. Police departments, the castle of Tompea, Government buildings and the editorial office of newspapers and radio were seized. The Estonian army, which had received orders not to intrude, was disarmed. The only resistance the rebels met was at the school on Rawa Street, where the communications battalion located there opened fire on them. On the same day, meetings and demonstrations were organized all over Estonia following directions from Tallinn. 
nothing decisive was undertaken until news arrived from Tallinn. On the evening of the 21st of June, the new cabinet, consisting of left-wing figures and opposition intellectuals, was appointed. A doctor and poet, Johannes Verus Barbarus, became the prime minister. A professor of history, Hans Kruss, was appointed deputy prime minister. And writer, Johannes Simper, was appointed minister for education. Former members of the state assembly were appointed ministers for agriculture, social, and interior affairs. The cabinet did not contain any communists at this point. The government's plan of activities presented the following day looked rather conventional. They promised to guarantee the rights of the people, increase material wealth, promote national culture, and develop normal relations with all countries. An oral promise was added that Estonian independence and the system of government would stay the same, and that the land would remain in the hands of farmers, and private property would not be nationalized. Those speaking were obviously unaware of the further intentions of the Soviet Union. Directly after the June Rebellion, the purge in the state machinery began. Higher officials of the ministries, the leadership of the army and police, and heads of the county governments and town councils were replaced. In this way, the key positions gradually went to communists. Several organizations were closed down, the Isamalit, the Kaitsalit, and other corporations. The leaders of societies of minor importance were replaced. The only legal political organization became the Estonian Communist Party, which still formally was independent. At the beginning of July, the Rigikogu was dissolved and early elections were announced. The new parliament was to consist of only one chamber, the State Assembly. In order to guarantee that the parliament would consist of people suitable to the Soviet Union, the Association of Estonian Working People, or Esti Tutova Rafa Lit, was established, which started an extensive campaign for its candidates. The election programs of candidates in nationalist circles were prohibited. In July, true Soviet elections took place in Estonia. There was only one candidate. Voters were intimidated and votes were fabricated. The results were predictable. 92.9% of the voters had voted for the candidates of Association of Estonian Working People. On the 17th of July, the results were officially announced, and in the evening of the same day, a big meeting was organized in Freedom Square in Tallinn, which proclaimed incorporation of Estonia into the Soviet Union. At the first session of the State Assembly, on the 21st to the 23rd of July, the real goals of the Communists became clear. To start with, the Estonian Republic was renamed the Estonian Soviet Socialist Republic. A decision was made to apply for membership of the Soviet Union. The State Council began to work out the constitution 
of the Estonian SSR and dismissed Konstantin Petz from the president's post. At the end of July, he and his family were deported to the Soviet Union. The same session of the state council decided to carry out land reform and to nationalize large enterprises and financial establishments. On the 6th of August, 1940, the Supreme Council of the Soviet Union met the request of the Estonian people and incorporated Estonia officially into the Soviet Union. On the 25th of August, 1940, the State Assembly adopted the Constitution of the Estonian SSR, which was based on the Constitution of the Soviet Union. Legislative power was given to the Supreme Soviet, which was formed by renaming the State Assembly. This institution did not actually have real legislative power. The deputies just had to approve orders from Moscow. In order to manage the Supreme Soviet, the Presidium of the Supreme Soviet was formed. Johannes Veris Barbaros was appointed chairman of the Presidium. Executive power was held by the Soviet of People's Commissars, which consisted of 13 members. Their task was also to follow exactly the orders from Moscow. Johannes Lorestein, a communist, was appointed chairman of the Soviet. The system of local government was also reorganized. Executive committees replaced town and county councils. The constitution determined the leading role of the Communist Party in Estonian society. The Estonian Communist Party were the ECP, which had formerly acted as an independent organization, became part of the Russian Communist Bolshevik Party. The membership of the ECP increased from 130 to 3,700 within a year. Part of the increase was due to the functionaries who had, who had arrived from other regions of the Soviet Union. But the increase was also due to local people who supported the new regime. Karl Sare became the first secretary of the Estonian Communist Bolshevik Party, and the position of second secretary was held by an Estonian who had been living in Russia, Nikolai Karotom. This system, where the leading post was occupied by an Estonian backed by a Moscow emissary, became typical. Next, Estonian legislation was replaced by the legislation of the Russian Soviet Federal Socialist Republic. It did not suit Estonian circumstances and therefore created a lot of problems. People's courts, typical of the Soviet court system, were established in Estonia. The Estonian police was replaced by the workers and peasants militia. The Estonian army was reorganized into the 22nd Territorial Rifle Corps of the Red Army. The reorganization of the economy started with nationalization. Industrial enterprises, transport agencies, commercial companies, and financial establishments, as well as larger houses, almost half of all residential space, were nationalized. Only small trades and industrial businesses remained in private ownership. 
the economy was subjected to central administration. In order to carry out the command economy, the compilation of economic plans was introduced, coordinated by the newly established State Planning Committee. The forced development of industry on account of other branches of the economy began, which ignored Estonian potentials and needs. The extensive production process soon created the need to bring in a workforce from the Soviet Union. In the course of agrarian reform, a national land fund was established. This included land confiscated from the church, local government, and people who had fled Estonia, as well as land taken from the big farms. A maximum size of farms was established, namely 30 hectares. As a result of redistribution of the land to peasants, unprofitable new small households appeared, which actually increased social antagonism. As a first form of socialist collective farming, state farms were introduced in Estonia based on reorganized manorial estates. The preparations for creating collective farms were also made. Centers were formed for lending machines and tractors, as well as horses. Nine collective farms were also established. Soviet authorities did not feel Estonia was ready for massive collectivization yet. One precondition for successful formation of collective farms was to impoverish the farmers, using ridiculously low prices for compulsory state purchases. The monetary reform carried out in November 1940, which replaced the Estonian krones with rubles at an exchange rate of 1 krone to 1.25 rubles. The actual exchange rate should have been 1 krone to 10 rubles, causing a sharp decline in living standards. It was followed by rapid rise in the prices of industrial goods and foodstuffs. Estonians became acquainted with another feature typical of the Soviet Union, a chronic shortage of goods. An immediate cultural revolution meeting the Soviet standards were also carried out in Estonia. The school programs were altered, adding several compulsory subjects such as Marxism-Leninism, the history of the Soviet Union, the Constitution, and the Russian language. The majority of small magazines and newspapers were closed down. The numbers of copies of the few newspapers and magazines which were allowed to appear increased immensely. Soviet textbooks, translations of Soviet fiction, and socio-political literature, especially the brief course on the history of the Soviet Communist Bolshevik Party, were published in great numbers. The task assigned to the fine arts was to get rid of the influence of the decadent art of deteriorating Europe and to glorify Soviet power. The main work of art became propagandist posters and showy portraits of the heads of the Soviet Union. The repertoire of theaters, cinemas, and concerts was replaced by works created by the Soviet authors. The works of Estonian and foreign authors were allowed to be presented only in limited extent. 
destruction of the earlier cultural values started. Statues were demolished, some books were forbidden, amateur societies and groups were dissolved, and creative people who had fallen into disfavor were either entirely ignored or arrested and deported. The first arrests had actually already taken place on 17th June, but after Estonia became incorporated and the People's Commissariat for Internal Affairs, or the NKVD, started to operate in Estonia, their scale became massive. Up to the end of 1940, more than 1,000 people disappeared, including former political, military, and police leaders of the country businessmen, and representatives of the intelligentsia. They were convicted, according to Soviet legislation, for deeds committed in independent Estonia. The majority of them were sent to the prisons of the Soviet Union, and many were executed. In 1941, the number of arrests became massive. People belonging to different layers of society were arrested, including workers and even Soviet activists. Nobody could be sure of tomorrow. Officially, nothing was said about the arrest, which increased the fear even more. The repressive policy culminated on 14 June 1941, when mass deportation took place simultaneously in all three Baltic countries. More than 10,000 people who were considered potentially dangerous were deported from Estonia. Adult men who were in the minority, were announced as having been arrested and sent to prison camps where the majority of them died. Their families were exiled. Nobody was actually prosecuted or sentenced. In next episode, we start to cover the war. In the book History of Estonia, which is what I used to produce this podcast, it mostly only covers events going on inside of Estonia. The war was truly a global phenomenon, and it is, of course, beyond the scope of this podcast to try and cover the entire war. I will try to expand somewhat beyond the borders of Estonia, but mostly I will stick to covering the movements of Germany's Army Group North, whose job it was to take the Baltics and from there to press on and take Leningrad. And everywhere Army Group North went, casualties to war and mass murder followed. If you will be in Estonia and feel like saying hello over the Christmas holidays, you can contact me at sparsleyw at gmail.com. So thanks for listening, and until next time, Nagamiseni. <laughs>